Hi, my name is Pete, and you're listening to the NPO Media Podcast, produced by volunteers with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, New York City, Staten Island Chapter. Opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent those of NAMI or its affiliates. This is a two-part episode. Coming up in the next podcast, Nicole, Michael's wife, tells her story. This is Michael's story. We met up in Brooklyn, and I recorded his answers to my questions via phone. My name is Michael Bellioni, and the way I came to this point is that my wife went through horrific drug addiction. She has two and a half years sober from opioids, and I believe it was two weeks ago I was part of the behind the scenes for a walk in Staten Island. That's how I became familiar with Pete. So, how it all began. 2011, my wife and I were on a motorcycle, and we got rear-ended. And that was the catalyst for her drug addiction. I did not know it. I was a police officer then, too. We were married. And this drug addiction was a vicious secret that she hid from me until roughly October of 2016. Now... In February of 2015, she gave birth to a healthy daughter. But in October of 2016, her drug habit had increased to $100 a day. Now, these were two prescription painkills. It was around this time that she met her paramour, and the drug addiction rapidly increased to $300 a day. And in May of 2017, she had already lost her job, and I had a limited order protection against her. And I threw her out of the house. I made her homeless. I took my kid away. Thankfully, she got herself back on her feet during the summer of 2017. And I was not completely honest with the individuals I was living with because they're old school and they think that once you're a drug addict, you're always a drug addict. So I, myself, and my daughter got thrown out of where we were living in November of 2017. And it took a long time for me to realize that the person I married The person who gave me a daughter, the person I traveled the world with, was not the same person who had an affair and was addicted to drugs because drug addiction is a vicious disease. But when I was living with her before I threw her out, I was not aware of that, and I viewed it as a choice. And I was blind to this, and I was not receptive to the idea that it was a disease. Being a cop also didn't help the situation. And uh, from that point forward, Once I got back in with her, you know, we had gone to a couple therapy sessions and I had saw the sober wife. I became somewhat of an advocate. Seems to be a calling of sorts to talk about drug addiction and to try to help anyone and everyone who may have been touched by it. It is an epidemic and I'm doing my part, hopefully with the support of the NYPD. Can you describe your journey to acceptance? The term denial not only exists for the users, it also exists for the families. And it took me having ACS in my life, calling my employee assistance unit within the police department, and crying my eyes out at my first Naranon meeting to say I was no longer in denial, my wife was a drug addict, and I went to the police station that night. That was February 17th of 2017. I went right from Staten Island's Naranai meeting right to the 122 precinct on Highland Boulevard. 
and I made a report. Now, when cops make a report, they don't just make a report like anyone. You have to talk to a captain. And I told them what was happening. I remember doing the domestic incident report, leaving off with, my wife is very sick. And I had to do a couple of those reports, you know, when I served her with the divorce papers the first time, the second time. And then when I finally got press charges on the limit order protection, I had to do it too. So that, that was May of 2017. So I had duty captains involved in my life, right? These are executives and, you know, they all had given different advice. They have to follow the procedures of the patrol guide, which is our operating guide within the police department in New York City. So imagine their look on their face when I bring her to the Christmas party in, in December of 2017 at the El Carib in Brooklyn. I'm like, this is my wife. And they're like, the ones you have all the problems with? I go, yeah, because it's a disease. So she's better. You think anyone was like, hey, we're so happy for you. No, they're like, this kid's an idiot. Well, who's laughing now? So what type of supports did you find when your wife was struggling with addiction? So during her active drug addiction, I was going to Tuesday support groups called Naranon. So for if you're unfamiliar, if you're an alcoholic, you go to AA. If you're a family member to an alcoholic, you go to Al-Anon. For narcotics, you go to NA. And for family members, you go to Naranon. That's all. I was going to those on Tuesday nights. And it was helpful because individual therapy didn't quite suit it because active drug addiction is hell on earth. So when you got into a room and you spoke to other individuals, regardless of the user, regardless of the relationship, the same insanity exists. You know, you, you, you snoop through their belongings, you look through text messages, they don't answer the phone, you worry that they're gonna overdose and die. You know, you, 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 your, your mind goes to wild places, but you realize that you can't control them. You may try to, but once you realize that you really can't control someone who doesn't want help, you're almost at peace because you realize that you can stop enabling. The reality of this is I was hurt, my wife had a boyfriend. She did say she wanted help, but I was too blind to that. So when I threw her out of the house, she could have potentially went further down that rabbit hole. It's very possible she could have become a prostitute. She could have overdosed. I'm just lucky that she didn't. After her active drug addiction, and her sobriety took place. The ramifications emotionally on my part still existed. I did a, a technique that no one really knows about. It's called havening. It is a physical response to emotional trauma. And it kind of released a lot of things that I was not in tune with. I'm not gonna go into havening, but it's one of the most powerful techniques for therapy that I could suggest anyone with emotional trauma. It's taken after the term safe haven. What other kinds of things help you stay well? I ride my bike daily. I've become a Coney Island polar bear. I swim every day, regardless of the weather. I take comfort in knowing my wife's sobriety is the best thing I could ever ask for. And I take pride in my family. And that's how I get through it. I'm sure you've had some very dark times. It's also important to mention that suicide was very realistic. As a cop, you have access to a gun. I'm gonna read something to you that I had written down. When I very first was asked to speak about this, I wrote something and 
it never got published, but number three, suicide at times seemed very possible and one time still sticks with me. Thinking about it today still makes me weak. How close I was. Her drug addiction from day in and day out, I wasn't sleeping and there was constant overwhelming stress. I was in the bathroom in the precinct, in the garage, and I was all alone and I was in uniform and I can't explain it but other than a dark cloud swooping over me and I felt the urge to have all the pain stop. And I was nervous and I was everything a cop shouldn't be. And I, I remember saying to myself, I'm a broken man. I'm a broken individual, I'm wearing the uniform, but I don't know how I got myself out of that. Is it God? Was it the supreme being? Was it, I don't know what it was. But again, I'm here because I advocate now for those who are addicted with drugs and I'm okay now, I'm not suicidal. Actually, I fell into another state of depression after I took my wife back, brought around my family. My family basically, you know, expected her to get up on a podium and say, hey, I'm a drug addict whore and please accept me. My wife is not like that. She's a very strong individual. She made her amends to those directly involved. And it was very, it was stressful to say the least. So I fell into another state of depression. Like I said, this would have been August of 2018. Gained weight. Then they put me on the midnight shift, so then I really wasn't sleeping, so I gained a lot of weight. And so my wife told me, you have to go talk to someone. You have to go talk to someone because you're not doing well. So I went to a therapist, and then I went to a, an individual who's able to write prescriptions. I went on a very mild dose of antidepressants. I got myself a sleep apnea machine. The sleep apnea with the, the mild doses of antidepressants pulled me out of the rut. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure it wasn't easy. You touched on it earlier, but can you give some more advice for family members, things to look out for? Unaccounted money, unexplained time or disappearances. I mean, in hindsight, I suppose I could have thought that my wife was having an affair like years and years ago, but again, she was just scrambling to try to find her, her next pickup. Can you share how you got involved with District Attorney Mike McMahon's drug prevention program on Staten Island? Sure, so right after I got back with my wife, my position within the precinct was crime prevention. You know, that's where you do outreach to seniors and groups and kids. And I reached out to the Staten Island DA's office because I wanted to do a presentation regarding opioids. And uh, Andrew Crawford of the Staten Island District Attorney's Office fired back an email and said, well, Sure, what are you looking for? And I said, you know, very matter-of-factly, well, my wife's a recovering drug addict and uh, I want to talk about opioids. And that basically got the ball rolling, the conversation, the dialogue between him and myself. And he had a program called Faces of Hope. So on Staten Island, there's these yellow yard signs everywhere. You know, SI Hope, SI Hope. And so there was 10 people selected for it. And we wrote essays, my wife and I and eight other people. And basically... It's a quick excerpt of active drug addiction and the joys of sobriety, but this podcast is much more detailed than what I wrote. With that being said, I told Andrew when we were taking our profile pictures, I said, Andrew, I want to do a walk. He goes, sure, yeah, we could do it. And uh, that was a while ago, man. That was like 17, 18 months ago. And then we, had, we were going to have a walk in April of this year, but it got rained out. And then 
Michelle Coons, who lost her son to a, a drug deal that had gone bad, had a walk of her own last year at Mount Loretto. And her and I have never met each other up until recently. And now we're basically allies, along with Congressman Rose and the Staten Island District Attorney's Office, advocating for sobriety. And she talks about her son and... Let me tell you something. She's the first person I'm really getting to know who lost her son to the opioid epidemic. Her passion is unmatched. You know, who wants to bury their child? But the more I think about it, the more I think about all the people who were dying from the overdoses, these mothers are probably completely broken, completely destroyed. And it makes me incredibly angry because, and I'm not talking about politics, but I'll just touch on it briefly, that Purdue and the Sackler family, they want to claim bankruptcy, yet they still have billions of dollars to their name. And, you know, we did a press release with Max Rose, and he's saying that these people are drug dealers. Straight up, they're drug dealers, and they deserve to be in jail. There should be no plea deal. There should be nothing like that. Now, you mentioned you have an upcoming walk. Can you share with our listeners the details? Sure. So it's um, November 10th, 2019, at 10 a.m., West 5th Street and Seabreeze Avenue at Asser Levy Park, A-S-S-E-R-L-E-V-Y. And it's going to have Congressman Rose, Borough President Eric Adams, and you know, a bunch of other elected officials. Now, the idea for the walk is as such. It's like a, a fair for mental health. There'll be different organizations within Brooklyn, you know, Dynamite, Bridge Back to Life, You'll hear the speeches, and then one arm of the walk will go along Brighton Beach Avenue up to the boardwalk. And from the boardwalk, it'll come back to Ocean Parkway and the boardwalk. And the other part of the walk will go along Surf Avenue up to West 19th Street, and then on the boardwalk back to Ocean Parkway. Now, this is my favorite part of the the walk, ready? After the two parts of the walk meet, there'll be a ceremonial balloon release for those that we love that are still suffering from addiction. We'll write their names on biodegradable balloons, and we'll do a balloon release. Then, anyone we've lost to addiction, we'll have a flower petal, and we'll put it in a, like a net and carry the net out into the ocean. At that point, the, the walk will be over. And anyone who has a Narcan kit, because there's going to be Narcan training, or if you have one from home, the aquarium is going to do like a half off. So there's an incentive to bring the family. Because we can't change laws. We can't make there be safe injection sites tomorrow. But we can change our mentality on how to treat addiction. Everyone knows a Heimlich. Everyone knows CPR. Everyone should have a Narcan kit. Michael, thank you for being on this podcast. And thank you for your brave and selfless work you're doing in the community. Because it's so vitally needed. This episode of the NPO Media Podcast was a collaborative effort between NPO Media and Five Flags Company Incorporated of Staten Island. Please subscribe to the NPO Media Podcast to get notified of new episodes. We're listed on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and many others. Thank you.